Biggest Geekus. We are your hosts. I am Joe. And I'm Randy. This is episode 21 of our podcast, and the date is Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. The podcast is now an adult. Sweet. So we can now start drinking, though neither one of us do. So No, no, no. The podcast can start drinking. Not that oh. I know what that means, but... You know, it's 21. We're well past that, especially oh, me, because yes. I'm older than you now. You are so old now, I can't believe it. Dude, 54, what's up? Well, it sucks, because I, especially we had our first snowfall this uh, of the year, mm-hmm. day before, day before yesterday, or yes, yesterday. And, oh, dude, it just killed me. I, I felt like I was an 80-year-old man. I came yeah. home, I was all hunched over, and uh, it was, it sucked. I <laughs> did, I bet. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, if I wasn't uh, podcasting like a crazy man the next couple of days, we'll talk about that later on the show, we got a little bit of announcement we hope is going to be happening. Um, I was really hoping to get into a little Savage Worlds this weekend. We'd be doing our game, but I don't think that's going to happen. Plus, Deb is going to be, I don't know, we'll see, because uh, Deb is, uh, that's my wife, she's uh, going to get some tooth work done, and uh, she may be down for the count. Oh, yeah, it can but do I, that. Yeah, it's How much, be, is it pretty extensive, or what? Uh, moderately so. So, just a little bit of stuff here and there, but it's going to add up, and they told her that she's probably going to want to lay around for a couple of days afterwards, but... Um, so I was thinking I'd have some time, but who knows? Maybe we can do it last minute. Are you uh, you all booked for the weekend? What's your plans? Um, we are uh, going to visit our horse at its barn Aww. on Saturday. Okay. Oh, you can't really ride it, though, can you? No, no. All right. For multiple reasons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought just because of snow and crap outside. No, it's uh the if Jenny was going to ride, she could um, inside. It's an oh, inside indoor arena. That's right. You got a. I've seen the pictures. You guys got a really nice arena there. Yeah, that is cool. Okay. Yeah. Not that it's our barn. It's somebody no. else's, but it's nice. It's yeah. a nice place. And you guys are going to just visit visit the the. Now she's a she's a female. What do they call those? I mean, I know they're called females, but there's a name for the horses that are females. You're correct, but I cannot remember. I'm not a horse person. Okay. I like horses, but right. I, I could probably say, oh, yeah, that's the word once somebody said it. Right. <laughs> Mare. Mare. And a gelding is a horse that's been a male that's been snipped, right? Yes, I believe so. Okay. And a stallion's unsnipper. Stallion. <laughs> Studmaster. There are a couple of stallions there. Yeah, are they there for breeding and stuff? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Not sure. Does she? I know Jen's had her for a while. Does she like her better than the previous horse? Uh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Yeah. I don't know about better because, um, no, probably not. Yeah. Not yet. Okay. So uh, she's had she's had she had uh, Jericho a lot longer than Rose. But if a last-minute window opened up, say, on a Saturday from, like, 8 to midnight, you might could throw down for Little Savage Worlds? Might could. Might okay. could. Definitely would want to. Mm-hmm. And it would be our previous Savage Worlds characters, right? Absolutely, dude. Pick up on the Skeleton Island. That's not really a good name, but it fits where you were, so. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah, we'll That'll be doing this stuff. Sweet. 
Right. All right. So let's get into some news. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sometimes you pick yawners, dude. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Dragonlance? Dragonlance? Are you serious? I know we've been, it's been beaten to death, and we know Hickman and Weiss have made you know kissy face and all goody good with uh, Watsy now. But apparently, it's actually going to happen. And the article, this article on Bell of Lost Souls went through it, and I'd mentioned I was a little put off by the writer. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, with them kind of kissing and making up, it really feels a little weak sauce. Uh, though uh, Eric Tinker on Tinker's Tavern, I don't know if you recall, when we first talked about this whole of a little couple of months ago, he predicted this. Right, him and that, right. him and his buddy, um, oh, Joe the lawyer, bad, no, bad Mike, bad, bad Mike, bad Mike. I think they're recording tonight. They, uh, they were both saying, yeah, it's going to work out. It's going to be all right. They're right. They nailed it. But somewhere in that article, it said, yeah, here in the middle, it said, nostalgia might be the single most powerful marketing tool, tools in the world. Why take a risk? When you can do something that was already successful, sure, you could try something new or you could remake Ghostbusters and hold up the objects from the past with a sort of mythic reverence. Oh, look at the proton pack, a character might say, with the unironic awe of a ready player one character wielding a sword made out of Transformers. And I get what he's saying. Um, uh, yeah, I see why you didn't like that. It just That's a strong word. It's just it kind of. I understand it can, you know, make something new. You and I both said seems like Hollywood's completely bereft of all ideas now. They just got to keep remaking crap and, you know, milk and marvel for everything they can. And uh, I just feel like, you know, that's a little bit harsh, but, you know, whatever. Okay, in, but it is harsh because if you look at that paragraph, one, he doesn't know grammar. <laughs> the single most yeah. powerful marketing tools, tools. with an yeah. S. Yep. Maybe I'm being nitpicky, but also he said why – why take a risk when you could uh, – why take a risk? Try something new. Did he make a new suggestion there? Or he just <laughs> said, you could do something new. Okay, you, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to think of something new, but you should. I'm a math guy, <laughs> and, I, and I taught the English faux pas. Uh, single most tools. Single, yeah. plural, uh, dumb. Yeah. But that's not – I don't want to beat him up over that because, you know, I'm the man that likes spaces uh, randomly placed in my outline for my podcast notes. No, no, it's not random. <laughs> you, have a, you have a definite pattern. Just a wrong pattern? Yes. <laughs> no, you know but what, uh, the, the bigger part – the bigger problem with that, though, is the you should take a risk. Yeah, why? You know, Weiss and Hickman, you take a risk. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what a, a good uh, new idea might be, but no. you should. Yeah. And I guess, though, to kind of – yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe that's what kind of bothered me a little bit, just the fact that I thought he was being kind of preachy and kind of, you know – Poo-pooing yeah. old so, stuff, Yeah, which is what young people – some young people do. Some yeah. old people do that, too. Oh, there are sure. some older people that love the new stuff, and sometimes they just love it because it's new. So apparently they're going to be returning to the original characters we know and love uh, that most people associate with Dragonlance. And they said Dragons Autumn, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the first book. Uh, but it's not a re reboot or just a reimagining. OK, so listen, it's really weird. So it says this is just weird. I mean, and this is where what? I where did yeah, you see that? Listen, it's like uh, after his horrible paragraph there, if you move down. Two more paragraphs. 
What does this actually mean? Well, according to the official announcement, it means a return to the characters you know and love from the books that most people associate with Dragonlands. Dragons of Autumn Twilight, for instance, but it's not a reboot or just a reimagining of the classic trilogy. The books will feature familiar characters according to the announcement, but also have some new things to introduce. Oh, okay. So it's not... It's... Okay. I miss, I didn't hear what you said. So what properly. is it? If it it's, what, it's not a reboot. It's not a reimagining. It's just... New stories with old characters that you didn't know. Oh, so they're probably going to tell, like, maybe what they were doing before they met at Solace, right? Then they all come together at Solace? Yeah, because I remember this was something that uh, I don't know who I heard say this, but they made a point of when you when you started reading um, the Dragonlance novels, yeah, uh, the very first one, yeah. they kind of talked about what they had done prior because they, they were running around uh, um, uh, busting up fake um, fortune tellers or something like that. Or oh, okay. witch hunting or something. I can't remember did, specifically. Did but they, they had, uh, okay, they were doing something. They had a thing that they were doing before. Uh, they had a history. So they talked about the history in the book instead of writing the first books about that history. So the person who was talking about that was kind of annoyed. Why didn't you tell that story? So maybe they're going to do that. Like a okay. prequel kind of thing. Well, I thought, I thought with the 47 billion Dragonlance books, surely they've already done prequels. Maybe not though, but uh, Hickman. How I feel about prequels. Yeah, I know they're your favorite. You wish Ooh. all, you wish all movies were prequels. Yes. Yes. Before I tell you the actual story, we're going to tell you a prequel now. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> so anyway it's funny that um hickman and weiss seem excited honestly i'm intrigued I'm, i might pick up the first book who knows i know you weren't a huge fan of it and i didn't read a lot of it but i always thought it was kind of cool better reading than playing in the world in my opinion i didn't care much for playing uh Kryn. right yeah i didn't really get the steel pieces i thought that was kind of weird <laughs> i think it's dumb yeah. Someone, so, so somebody wearing a full plate armor, they're like, dude, jump that guy and take his armor. If we can right. kill him, we'll be wealthy forever. <laughs> well, what's just about a steel weapon? Like a long sword? Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a lot of hey, steel in that. Question, though. Would a cold iron weapon be even more valuable? So you have cold iron pieces. <laughs> oh, boy. I know. I know. It was dumb. But it's all right. It's D&D, man. It's cool. Right. <laughs> yep. And that brings us awkwardly to our next one. Perfect. Because awkward is the name of the game and it's offensive gameness. Yes. We, Rise we, of the offensive games. Now, do you know why I added the virtue signal game? I don't I'm because I'm only partially sure why I added it. <laughs> so the Rise of the Offensive Game, right? That's a... That's an article where they talk basically about how poop and body body uh, humor, like, you know, pooping, sneezing, farting, and all that kind of crap, boogers and pimples, have kind of made a, a run in the hobby. Um, some well, of the, the toy hobby. hobby. Not yeah. so much the RPG hobby, but just toys. But some, but some games, too. I mean, there's games, too. Remember our buddy Patrick said he thought he always, he always thought, well, you know, if he can't get a really big seller, he'll just make a game about poop and should be fine. <laughs> probably. Probably. And dude, you know I Body think, humor's big. I think poop is hilarious. 
Yes. Your wife and I share that in common. We think yes. this general is literally hilarious. Well, but, I know uh, you're jealous of this pillow that I have. It's, it's the. Oh, you have the poop pillow? Pillow. I got a poop icon something around here, like a tiny one, I think, but I don't know where it is. You'd think I would have it front and center, like having it, staring at it nonstop. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting that he brought that up, the idea of uh, offensive games like that. And so I guess selling to kids is the idea. And then I, I mentioned that one virtue signal. Did you read that at all? Virtue signal, um, the game of social justice. You would like that, Joe. Oh, yes, that I, I actually have seen some of the cards in that. Yes, um, I would like to buy it. I actually. think Pat has a copy of that. I would like to play that game because yeah. I, that's literally hilarious. It is um, very hilarious. And I do think they tried to cancel him. Really? Oh, yeah, they tried to cancel oh, him. And I'm, he, I'm not he, sure. he saved versus cancel. Yeah. And, and it's really easy. You just look at him and go, screw you. Right. Cancel yourself. Don't apologize. Dumbasses. Don't apologize. Don't capitulate. Just do your thing. Mm-hmm. Crap babies. I think you might but have I, even had to find um, diff, maybe a different payment processor, or maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. But I think dude. he had some some troubles. But he he literally kicks their teeth into this game, dude. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. So just mention oh, yeah. that because that's offensive to a lot of people that are, you know, like to signal their virtues. Yes. So, but they I think it's do, fun. I think we would love it. We would. It would be lots of laughs. Um, so, <laughs> Origins of Rule Zero. I read it this time. All I right. literally did. The article you know what? I picked. <laughs> this, um, I read something very similar to this about mm-hmm. the origins mm-hmm. of Rule Zero and stuff. It was on Reddit or something like that. So, yeah. this was a week ago, I think, at least. Yeah. So this was cool. And apparently the, the rule zero is basically that if the DM doesn't like uh, a rule and in, in, in a role play game, if the GM doesn't like a rule or it's not appropriate for their table. You know, you can he, he can decide to get rid of it. Now, they argue back and forth that apparently it started back with war games. Yes. Where if it didn't make sense in the war game, like, you know, a certain scenario came up and the rule doesn't seem to apply uh, that, the, that the referee was more than, you know, he had the right to change the rule. Do I think. I think it was probably assumed he wasn't doing it maliciously. Uh, this rule zero thing, though, I think someone commented in the comments, and that's what I thought, too. I don't remember that being spelled out in any edition of D&D but third. Yeah, that's where I first heard of it, too. And honestly, what do you think of it? Just the idea that, OK, so the DMs, you know, like I don't think this with the way, with the way we play. The way grappling works is very good. So I'm going to make up my own rule. And that's what I'm going to do. Well, so I, remember, you- I remember reading Rule Zero, and I said, well, that's the kind of stuff we did already. Mm-hmm. They just codified it. You know, I don't I don't believe that it was given a specific term before that, but everybody did it. I think to, yeah, I to one extent or another. I think so. I mean, with, with house rules, essentially you're doing that. But yeah. I think the, I think what and but if you read any, any of the responses, some people really. Some people push. There's a segment of players that push really hard against that. And I don't know if it was this article or the other one where they talked about one guy said, well, you know, maybe it's the players who see the game as more of a competition against the GM and they want the rules to be the way they are in the book. R.A.W. This is how it works. Right. So 
I, I guess I could see that because honestly, I don't. When we played when we played Elysium and CabinCon, it was a little player versus GM at times. Yeah, I, mean, I was I was trying to kill you sometimes. I mean, I ain't right. even, I'm not even pretending. Right. Like, yeah, I set this up. I hope I hope I kept but catch Bush in this trap and he fails to save because he's dead. <laughs> I mean, just I mean, but it wasn't not so much when we started getting into the story of the world, but when it was like set up a scenario and was just, you know, do a arena pit fight. If I was running the scenario, I was like, yeah, I hope I can kill some of the good characters. That'd be neat. Because I knew you're coming back. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we had the regeneration pools and stuff. Yeah, I just wanted to make you look no dumb because I love making Joe look dumb because he's my best friend and I feel like that's kind of my purpose in this world. Well, it's, it's not it's not hard to do. <laughs> I don't know, dude. You're pretty smart so, cookie. But um, I remember back you know the early days of third edition um people talking about roses you know raw and ra and or mm-hmm. rai oh, rules rules as intended, intended. rule zero and hold on hearing, you tell me i i could i think i could predict what you will say you have a problem with rai don't you yeah how can you know <laughs> I know you're going to – how can you know their intention? Dude, I know my boy Joe. That's all there is to it. I knew it. As soon as I read that, I was like, he hates that. And you know what? I kind of love it. <laughs> I, um, sometimes you can get some context, but yes. most of the time, intention is get out of town. It's really hard to tell someone's intention. But, but I, I never had a problem with Rule Zero, and every time I've heard people kind of push back on Rule Zero and blah, blah, blah – I'm like, well, you're just a bunch of babies. But the other thing, the other thing is, um, even though in our early days of role playing, you were a dickhead. Yeah, pretty much. I don't argue that at all. I didn't. I didn't complain about it that much. I was like, well, you're running the game. Yeah. So what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> not play. Yeah. Then there's nowhere to play. Uh, I still had fun. It was just yeah. like, well, I didn't like that rule. Yeah. It was like like to shoot the rubble. <laughs> if, ah. you don't shoot, if you don't shoot the rubble, there's going to be a rock python that's going to come out. And strangely enough, it's going to be poisonous. I don't know why, but it's going to be. And then you're going to die. <laughs> so interesting aside, uh, yeah. this is the Red Dice Diaries. Yep. He was John. talking about um, um, in-game or in-jokes. Oh, yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. – uh, and how some the situations become in jokes and you have some background you can share. And it was a pretty cool episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's like shoot the rubble. We talk about that a lot. And yeah. then I thought that would be a cool monster. Carnivorous oh. rubble. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Carnivorous rubble. I'm, by the way, I'm writing that down. Yes. <laughs> Joe, well, great way carnivorous to Carnivorous rubble. I get the I, uh, concept credit. We can yes. uh, work out details for different. Uh, no, I'm I'm serious. It'd be cool, a cool monster to have. Dude, I'm not joking. I wrote it down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Rubble. Yeah, carnivorous rubble. That'd be great. Well, you know, we have a couple. Of, a couple. Of, I thought about that. I'm going to probably respond to uh, John's uh, podcast on that because I want to tell him a couple of our things. I don't think. You, were you in the situation when we were playing the Seven Spheres and Debbie had her scion, and you guys encountered one of the Void Walkers? And an entourage, and they were being mean to some kids, and she wanted to try to use diplomacy on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there. I, okay. I think that but was. You heard the, about it. Yeah. Right. That was like the 
session or two before I started yeah. in that. And it was so hilarious because, uh, uh, you know, she's like, I'm like, well, make your diplomacy check. And she goes, uh, hmm, I don't have it. Disintegrate. <laughs> <laughs> and she disin- and the mage failed. She disintegrated that mage right on the spot. And uh, everybody was like, they kept the next time there was some tr- there was someone they wanted to talk to. They goes, Debbie, diplomatize him. <laughs> uh-huh. and so diplomatize was a, c- a cue for Debbie to cast disintegrate. So right. that was a, I mean, guys, were, you were reaching pretty awesome level at that time, 13th, 14th level, whatever it was. They were getting really good. But, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's some good times. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give John Allen a, a call and tell him a couple of mine because I thought that was a pretty good little ep- episode. I like the one with the cat lord, too. Right. That's a side note. But, yeah, but back to rule zero, I think um, – go ahead. Oh. The only thing I could see as a valid complaint would be consistency. Yes. So as long, and then that, and also comes down to trust. Mm-hmm. And you're, if you're playing with your friends, <laughs> even if there is a little bit of inconsistency, you shouldn't bust each other's balls about it. And rule zero should be, they make a good point. It should be about fun. You right. know, if, you know, like in the first edition D and D, if you have somebody, I want, I'm a big strong guy. I want to grapple every time you get into a bar fight. And the grappling rules were, huh? <laughs> they were crazy. It's like, look, just make, just make a strength check, or and if you do this, and I'll, I'll oppose it, and whoever gets higher wins, and you're wrestling down. And everybody, and you know, everybody at the table would be like, yeah, let's do that. Screw the grappling rules. They were dumb. So, um, or even try to use psionics. You know, ugh. Second edition was pretty good, but first edition was poop for psionics. So. Oh yeah, because if you had psionics, now you're a target. We talked about that, I think, in another podcast. But essentially, in that edition, you didn't want to have psionics. No. Because no. if you met a psionic creature and you had psionics, you 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 were worse off. Because you almost certainly had less points than it, and a lot less. And there were a couple powers that was just the win button if you had more points. Right. But um, with Rule Zero, I think the only time I can think of where we might have gotten into sort of like the early days when I was being a douche nozzle. But um, when we were playing in third edition, I think sometimes, especially in the Seven Spheres, it was a little bit of a – it became a little competitive. But I don't think it was like, oh, we got to kill Randy. But it was more like – I mean, to be honest, folks, I was like – my encounters were unreal for a big majority of that seven spheres in a uh, campaign. I mean, you didn't have easy encounters. So you guys had to have an arms race. Cause you're like, I could easily die in the very first encounter in this game tonight, right. you know, and you guys knew it. So you were like always bringing your absolute best. I don't think it was trying to cheat. I think we were just like constantly trying to push each other to the limits, you know, kind of, kind of one up, but kind of push the limits. And I thought three, I thought our, our, our three year campaign, which you played a, a large portion of, we really put the three, five rules to like through its paces. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, rule zero was not, it seemed like in third edition, even though they mentioned it, I don't think rule zero was, I didn't feel like the rules actually, encouraged it or I don't encourage is not the right word. I was always nervous to make my own rules. You shouldn't have been. Yeah, probably not. Shouldn't have been because, and I know people complain like that about rules, heavy games. They feel constrained by the rules, but I don't see why. If you don't like a rule, change it, ignore it. 
If you like the rule, use it. Well, to be honest, the, the reason I did, yeah, I, well, in theory, I thought, here's what I thought. I thought when, when we were playing third edition in 3.5, I really thought, and I still have a lot of love for it, I thought it was the best version of D&D ever. I thought it was the perfect version of D&D, and I could not imagine myself ever wanting to play a different version of D&D. That was the truth. When we were in the middle of it, I was like, this is my game forever. And I also thought, not correctly, that I thought the game was carefully balanced, which was not true. I don't know why I thought that. I should. I mean, I saw plenty of glaring errors, but I thought, man. What edition it, are you talking about? Third edition, yes. <laughs> right, right. You, Yeah, laugh at me. I deserve it. My, <laughs> my point, though, is I thought, man, I thought everything was so interconnected with the feats, the class abilities, and the spells, and all the crazy stacking. I thought if I changed one rule, I couldn't. And I do think that's probably true. It's hard yeah. to see the ripple effect of a change of a rule in 3.5. Yeah, things are kind of woven tightly together. I don't know about balance. No, that's the wrong so much, word. Woven but... tightly together is the thing. And I didn't know if I pulled a string here, if the game would fall apart. I didn't realize it really was already completely Borked, borked in the sense that you could cheese it easily. Every game can be min-maxed and cheese-balled where you can get crazy combos, but 3-5 was pretty easy to do it with. Right. Right, right. Yeah, all right. It was. Yeah. I think the, the bare-bones um, mechanics of it, barring, you know... The arms race it ended up being well. I guess kind of second edition did it too. You had too much source material that had yeah. too many game elements. I also think too many feats was a drawback because every time you made a new feat, if I were going to make a new feat, I got to make it as good as some of the best feats, or nobody's going to want it. Right. Right. And I think the feat system, as much as I loved it, there were some older grognars. It'd be fun to talk with the. Uh, Glenn or Eric about this is older grognards um, thought the feats just were completely borked, and I kind of lean toward that. I don't think completely, but I think you got to you got to put a tighter rein on the feats, and I do think Five E does a good job of that, making the feats worthwhile. But there's not two hundred thousand of them. Right. I think yeah. it's mostly the problem is mostly the overabundance of stuff. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, we could we could tear third edition apart, but <laughs> so move on to the to the last one. I think is another really cool, a cool article actually, cool discussion point. Yeah, what's an RPG over yeah. on En World? Yeah, buddy, that was good. Now that um, I read, I read that the article and I read all the comments. So, I did, I don't read comments. I'm above <laughs> that. I'm above all that. Or you're, you're way above everybody, so we peons read comments. Yeah. So um, what did you get out of the comments? Well, any kind so, of different stuff? Well, I thought, yeah, what I thought was, so he, um, how did he define this? Um, an RPG, a tabletop RPG, the article writer, I thought made a valiant effort, uh, has four characteristics. There's avatars. You got a character you play. You have progressive improvement cooperation, and GM-opposed adventure. So the GM is supposed to try to challenge you. And I thought that sounded very good, but when you read the comments, I think you can make a strong argument that the only one of his four things that are required is that you have avatars. 
<laughs> that you have a character that you roll. Yeah, with. because there's there's like we've we've mentioned earlier to, tonight. Um, some games don't have much as far as progression. No, James Bond, the RPG, top secret. Uh, uh, operations Delta. optional. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of games. Sometimes it's it's encouraged to go backstab like in a vampire game where everybody's got their own little manipulations going. Paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um, or you play like we did with just D&D when we were teenagers. WWF. Yeah. Each man for his own. And uh, if you, you're doing what back. I like, it's cool. Watch your back. And uh, we got a little treasure chart. If you're number three in line, I don't care if a spell book pops up. I'm up. It's my choice. I get it. <laughs> then I'll sell it to you. <laughs> Joe love that. I'll sell it to you. Two thousand gold. What? You can't even use it. I know, but it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, baby. Yeah. So and, as I read, uh, opposed it. I don't know why, how you would um, disclude GM'd opposed adventure because that's kind of what the GM what is for is to provide the scenario. What about GM? Even, even if it's even if it's um, sandboxy, or even if it's what if it's story time like Fate? Well, see, I don't, I'm not, I don't, uh, I don't play those girly games. <laughs> so um, that was how you feel about that. And uh, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure how <laughs> how the GM part plays into the the Fate type games where it's storytelling. I'm sure it's kind of the GM kind of. Um, leads it though that's i don't something. know yeah i would think yeah i think so i've what little i've read on fate it would be the case i would say that um there are some games that claim to be gm less they don't have a gm some role-playing right. games yes so that might true. be that would definitely be story time um and um yeah so but i'm with you i mean don't get me wrong i think his four statements are, are good. I mean, I like that definition, even though you can find exceptions to the rule. I'm fine with yes, that. Yes. But some of the comments I thought were really good. People mentioned those different things, how, you know, some games you don't get improvement. Some games are not cooperation. Though I thought he made a really cool comment about cooperation. Um, he said, and I thought this fit our Cabin Con arena game, that basically if you're playing PvP, it's a lot more like a card or a board game. Yeah. And Arena, our arena campaign, which morphed into our Elysium campaign, was like a board game. Kind remember of, when, yeah. When we first started, dude, we were like, remember, we were like, rules is written. It yeah. takes a move action to pull a potion out, and you got to make this. Didn't you have to do something if you didn't have a, everybody loved the Heward's Handy Haversack, because it made it just a, was it a free action or a move action? A move action. Move action. And if you didn't have a Haversack, you had to take a whole round to dig it out, right? Right, right. Yeah, so everybody was buying the 2,000 gold pieces, and we were like, got our money and spending it, and then, you know, it was all very, very board gamey competitively. I think there's definitely some, I would say I, I like role-playing games that discourage PvP, not interested in it. But having said that, I think there's some good stories that can be told when your goals and other player goals aren't the same. Um where maybe your goal going down into Aserac's tomb is not to get the Demilit skull. You want to find out where that sphere of annihilation is and then try to control it. Maybe you have those, uh, what was that? What The fork. The, is it a fork that goes with the sphere? Um, 
was the yeah, item? There was something. I don't know if it was a fork, but it was some kind of there item. Was some kind of item. Yeah, yeah, a controller item. Controller, and you want to get that sphere of annihilation. Whereas I want to go down there. I'm a paladin. I want to defeat the horrible demilich that's been, you know, that threatens to take over the world should he ever get a new body. And you're just kind of like, dude, I'm going with you, but I'm looking for this, and you may right. not be willing to go any further, right. you know. And and I think that could add some tension. Um, uh, but I mean. I think in most tables that tension would turn into just stupidity because, you know, I'd probably be like, you're not going to go in this quest for me. We're not friends. Hit the road, dude. You got your right. stupid sphere. Get out of here. If you don't want to go down there and do this, I'll do it myself. Or at best, that's what would happen for a lot of people. Um, but as I read the um, some of the comments, uh, there was one guy that commented. I won't say his name. Well, I don't know if this is really his name anyway. He was just, I thought, and those comments is probably why you don't read them. They're so, sometimes they're so insulting to each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Just left field talking about fascist role playing and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Fascist role playing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was just, he was never. Where's that guy. one at? Uh, if, if you scroll down, let's see. Um, this guy, Umbrin, makes a comment. Uh, and after Umbrin makes his comment is when this bozo jumps in and he's. Well, you don't understand me because I'm not from the Western Hemisphere. And I'm like, whatever, dude. And, uh, yes, uh, Umber makes a comment. Oh, this guy, oh. It is you see terminology co opted by alt right white supremacists. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, fascists. Let's see what? Like, These people aren't playing an RPG, they're playing a storytelling game. Then, then that definition is about your feet. Oh, because he <laughs> said your feelings. Yeah, his feelings got hurt. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just thought that was funny, but that was uh, annoying. But I thought several folks made some good comments about what they thought an RPG was that Umbrin dude did. And this guy named Valan, and I kind of liked his comments. And Pemberton, I'm naming people now, but I'm naming them because I like them. I'm not naming the douche nozzle guy. So anyway, uh, um so just I, I thought, you know, they all made comments, you know, and, and I thought in a reasonable way, kind of saying, you know, maybe you don't need to have advancement. Maybe you don't have to have cooperation. And so but I'm with you. A game I'm going to play in. I can't imagine enjoying it if the GM is not the one uh, who's creating the adventure and making our opposition. It would be weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, yes, yes. You need some kind of conflict. I absolutely like the dude's uh, definition of RPG, but I think it could be trimmed up a bit. Could be. Um, yeah. it's, I, a, it's a good one. I'm satisfied with it. Yeah, I like, and uh, let's see. Yeah, that's why I like that section where it says R, what RPGs are not. I agree mm. with that. Yeah. 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 I was reading that uh, the back and a little bit of the back and forth down there with Umbrin and whatnot, this uh, um, little baby. You hurt my feelings. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. Yep. Anyway, let's get back to segment two. The main topic, the main topic. of our... Yeah, baby. The railroad versus the sandbox. So I got a buttload of definitions here, bud. Yes, you did. You're and I put, so but, defined. I am, well, you know, mathematicians, baby. We define poop. We don't play around. But um, I stole this mostly from, I think, something called RPG Museum. It was a little harder than I thought finding these decent definitions. 
Um, right, right. Well, that's because this stuff is subjective. Um, yeah. Oh, I agree. And I so we're talking about the railroad versus a sandbox. And really, within the railroad, I think there's it's really linear game versus a sandbox. I even question to what extent. Well, let's read this. So here's a railroad game design. So, so people call it railroad. According to this RPG museum and website. Is a GMing style in which no matter what the PCs do, they will experience certain events according to the GM's plan. In general, this is considered a flaw. Display a lack of flexibility, naturalness of the scenario, and lack of respect for meaningful choices for players. Now, within this, there is the idea of someone saying, you say, Joe, you know, you see a tavern, and it's called the end of the welcome wench, and you're like, I don't want to go there. I'm going somewhere else. No, as you enter the tavern, Joe, I mean, <laughs> yes. you know, that's, yes. you notice people, dude, I said, no, no, you're in. So now, anyway, this guy comes up to you. I don't talk to him. Yeah. He sits you down, gets you in a headlock and says, here's what you're going to do. Okay. Have you gotten you, punched in the nuts already. Right. But, but seriously, I yeah. never, I never did that. Did I? No, 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 no. But I think the other thing is this, what, uh, what this also could, could be, is the GM has X encounters uh, right. planned. Yes. I have written down these three, four, five, six encounters. Yes. No matter what the PCs do, those encounters happen some way, some form. Right. That's, I've heard that called the quantum ogre. Have you heard of the quantum ogre? Oh, I've never heard that term. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I think I heard this on Gaming and BS. Brett had used it uh, a couple of times, one of the hosts there. It's a good podcast, too. Um, anyway, the... Um, Quantum Ogre is like you're walking down a road, fork, one fork's left, one fork's right. To the right, I have planned this ogre to jump out and surprise you, and you guys choose left. Guess what happens when you choose left? You get the ogre set up as the well. Ogre, Quantum Ogre. He's wherever you decide to go. I personally don't think that's necessarily bad design. Not necessarily. I, I think it could get a little... I don't. What the? Here's the deal. You can do that, and will the players even know? Um, not likely. Mm-hmm. If you if you pull it off right, um, it's not it's not it's not necessarily the case. The players will figure it out. Um, as long as the evening mm-hmm. has been enjoyable, right? On one level or another. Yep. Um, and. Uh, it seems like the choices that you've made made a difference or were meaningful. (laughs) Then you're not going to be able to tell that there was a railroad. Right. But sometimes people are so so heavy handed in their railroading. Right. That they essentially tell you, you can't make that choice. And that choice is invalid or, or they say, if you choose, this, this other thing will happen. They say it up front. And then you say, well, I'm going to choose this other thing. But if they wanted you to do the the one where it, where it resulted in a particular um, outcome, outcome. Mm-hmm. they then they say, oh, well, it, this thing that you want to do doesn't happen one way or another. <laughs> right. That's, that's like, I'm going to make you lose your arm no matter what you choose to do in this next scene. Yeah. Your arm. And it's funny because I think... 
that's extreme. And we're kind of answering one of my questions, too, as we go through the, through the thing. And that is, you know, railroads are often used as a pejorative. People say it sucks. You're a bad DM. But I think that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you can't tell you're being railroaded and you still have a good time. Is it really a railroad then? Or, or does it matter if it was? Correct. Now, now, you can, as a DM or GM, I still, this is an aside, I hate GM. What? I don't think it sounds good. I like DM. Me too. I don't care what game it is. I, <laughs> I prefer just to say DM. And that just so, may be being stubborn. Anyway, aside. You know what? what? It could just be... We could change it, so not use GMing, but um, DM could be the dang master. <laughs> Shut up and follow the dang master. <laughs> That'd be all railroad games that have a DM, the dang master. Well, I mean, there's is a concept that everything you do is a dungeon. Yes, but some folks really think that. Now, here's another one. Now, related to railroad game design is linear game design, which is what I often do because I I tend to use a lot of modules. It says one in which the GM lays out expected game events ahead of time using time, geography and events to influence PC behavior. If they deviate from the planned adventure, the GM may use carrot and stick approaches to get them back on track. However, this situation does not become a true railroad unless the GM actively negates player choices simply because the GM did not like what they chose. Right. So, and you know, and, and you probably can see it. I mean, you guys get off the beaten path. Sometimes if something's urgent, you know, let's say, you know, if you don't go replace the holy fire of Dagoleth. In the in the in the in the cave where the holy cave, you know, the the, sac- the sacred cave, by the stroke of midnight, then um, all the vampires in the region will converge on the town and kill everyone. Right. And you guys, well, we're not going to do it. And I'm be like, okay. And you guys do your thing, and you're running around, and you're like, oh, it's it's close to dusk, and you run into two vampires. You're like, vampires at dusk. I'm like, yeah, they're feeling pretty froggy. You know, they look like they're pretty pumped to be out about. And someone would be like, oh, crap, we should do that holy flame thing, right? So, I mean, that's I guess that's kind of a carrot and stick approach, you know, give them natural incentives to say, that's okay, but realize you may not make it out of this town if you don't do this. It's up to you, bro. You do what you want. Yeah, this I don't have a problem with, uh, with uh, if the DM wants mm-hmm. to uh, have a timer, so mm-hmm. to speak, it mm-hmm. provides some tension yep. and consequences. Right. That I don't see as railroady or anything like that. No, nope. um, it's not like for you're not forcing the players to do things. You're just saying, yeah. hey, timeline consequences. But like you know, me having it all mapped out during this time, this will happen over in the cave versus over in the wood versus over in the town. You know, they're saying that's a linear game design, and I think that's fine. A lot of modules I think tend to be more. A lot of modules that I like to run tend to be linear. You go here and go here, though you can you can circumvent them. You know, you played in games where I've said, you guys, that was really weird. And I'd be like, yeah, I didn't expect you guys to do this yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, we yeah. just bypassed a big chunk of the adventure. I'm like, well, yeah, you kind of did. Good job. You didn't have to fight all this crap. Now, some players would be back in the old day. We'd be like, let's go back and get the. Gotta get all the e- <laughs> you got to get all the EXP. <laughs> yeah, we do. All the XP and we might miss a plus one sword or a potion of healing. All the treasure, all the gold. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Got to get it. Go, go to every room, which is fine, too. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and I know some folks on the Internet will say linear game design is just railroad. <laughs> They'll say it. 
I don't know. I, I don't think so. I, I think right. it's a completely, completely valid way to sure, to, sure run the game. You know, um, some people can't ever be satisfied. True. So sometimes there's a railroad. Sometimes there's a linear. Sometimes there's the carrot and stick like you have here where you have. I don't even see that as being a separate thing um, in a organic environment. You may not know all of the outcomes of your actions. Did you just do that? I use that. I used a marketing term. Oh, dude. Um, um, But you might know some. Like you have somebody that tell you that if this thing, if you do this thing for them, they'll give you some treasure or something. You get a reward. That's carrot and stick, but that's how things work in the real world too. You know, you do a job, you get paid. So um, if someone asks you to do a thing, then generally you'll get something out of it. I don't know why that's a, I don't know why that's a, um, why that's teased out as a separate thing. Well, it's interesting because they talk about like the natural incentives will be like what I told you with consequences um, are, are, are things you can say, well, here's some you get some cool magic items. You go there. The, the church will give you magic items if you go to the, if you go to if you go like the holy fire in the cave. Uh, and they talk about exceptional in- incentives uh, where a DMA, a GMA introduced an element specifically to guide the PCs. Um, it says if the PCs decide the vampire's castle sounds too scary, the GM might have the vampire's minions steal their horses or attack townspeople. Now, I've done stuff like that just so I can kind of get you where you want to go. But now that I'm older, I do not like the direct appeal. So the GM might, in some circumstances, hint, imply or state that the PCs are wandering outside the planned scenario and make suggestions about how to either get back to the original agenda or how to turn the situation to something interesting. And here's another one. Or... We're going to stop playing. Huh. I mean, I, I recall doing that back then. Remember when you'd go down a certain hallway and I'd be like, all of a sudden, everything oh. fades and fades into <laughs> light. And you guys would be like, oh, God, what's going on? I'm like, I did not develop this this part of the dungeon. I got a leg cramp. Got a leg cramp, yes. Hold on. Joe and I share this unbelievable habit of our incredibly massive and manly thighs cramping like crazy to where we can hardly stand up. I often joke that I share this cramp problem, not only with Joe, but with LeBron James. You sports fans may recall him having taken out of a game or not being able to play in a game because he was cramping so bad because our thighs are so muscular. Joe is a mailman, so. Yeah, it's a, it's a function of being awesome. Yeah, it is. It really is. So, so when you hear Joe say that, he's probably standing up and trying to get a little weight on that bad boy. Oh yeah, yeah. I worked That's out. What I'm today, doing, but not that hard. I worked out, but not that hard today. So anyway, that's interesting. Now, do you can do you think most modules are like? I think most adventure paths are linear. Linear. Yes. But they do talk about Kingmaker as being a sandbox type adventure path though when i looked that up people a lot of people were saying that it was only sandbox for the first couple of adventure paths kingmaker is the one where you build an actual kingdom your characters get a uh, a piece of land and are supposed to develop it and you're supposed to make it all work and it's it's pretty sandbox you get a lot of freedom how things can happen there which comes to sandbox is a player-driven game 
Rather than deal with a metaplot or outside forces, PCs wander about in search of excitement. It is so called because there is no natural endpoint or winning condition in the campaign, and play is largely unconstrained rather than programmatic. Um, I don't think. Hmm. I think our games back in the day started out very linear and railroady. But I thought we often veered into sandbox territory. Yeah, I remember having games where we like, hey, what's in this hex on the Greyhawk map? Mm-hmm. And we well, let's, let's go figure yeah. it out. I pull the map out and he goes, hey, Randy, we're going to go there. And I'm like, yeah. okay. I remember cool. doing that. Yeah, we did a, kind of the hex crawly thing. And we had times where people would be like, I, I, you, you'd like, uh, my wizard wants to get this particular staff, so... I want to go talk to this guy and, and you would kind of push the adventure or someone else. I need to get a suit of armor and I go to the king. Hey, can you give me a suit of armor? Yeah. If you go take care of these orcs for me. I mean, you guys yeah. do stuff like that all the time. Yeah. I think part of this, the um, definitions here is sometimes you have sandboxy bits and then yep. you can have li- linear bits. So you can a sandbox. I mean, some people might want to do totally random everywhere. Right. And then some folks might want to say, uh, here's your sandbox. But the DM says, well, it, I mean, has a plan that if they go a particular direction, he has this plan. If they go a different direction, he has that plan. So I think that's fine, too. You don't use. But if you want to do totally random, that's more sandboxy. But yeah, I mean, I a true. If it's, I don't know. It's a matter of play style. You're what your group likes to do. It seems like it'd get pretty weird if your characters are just kind of, you know, though, and maybe not. Maybe you guys are just, you're playing treasure seekers. So you're looking, and you have, you know, excitement junkies. So you're just looking for fun. So, you know, something that'll get, you know, get you really your blood pumping. And so your characters are like kind of, you know, a little on the crazy side. And they're like, we'll just do whatever happens. We're going to go explore. Oh, didn't they right. say this, this this region along this river was very, was like uh, known for dragon turtles appearing? Let's go check it out. Right. And you might yeah. you might hear rumors that you follow. You know, yeah. there's a tomb over here. Nobody's been in it, or everybody that's gone there to see what's in it has not returned. So stuff like that. That's all I, cool. I thought underneath it there, a much smaller print, which our old eyes can barely see now. They said a number of in- important characteristics of a sandbox. The primary metagame goal is discovery and exploration, uh, which is. Um, which subordinates or pushes down the metagame goal of plot and cohesion. The game is high on GM control of background, but low on GM control of events. So basically you have a lot of, as a GM, I think if you do a good sandbox, you've got a lot of crap going on. The players just choose which part of the crap they're going to get involved in. Right. It's very, it's very rich to do things in. Encounters and events are emergent. I don't know about, I should have looked up that. I think I know what it means. Emergent happens at the table. Yeah, so you could you could have a uh, random uh, encounter generator. You could right. even have. Um, I think this was in uh, the um, uh, lazy DM style, where mm-hmm. you would have encounters that you would say, "Oh, this is a cool encounter." You write down on an index card, and then you have a a set of those that you've developed over time. So you could instead of rolling on a table. You could just randomly draw one of those encounter cards. Either yeah. way. Yeah, and I also like how, you know, Savage Worlds does that in their uh, 
plot point campaigns. Uh, you played a necessary evil. There was a big adventure generator. Where I, if I had nothing, if I didn't want to do a particular plot point that 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 uh, weekend we were playing, I could just roll and something could happen. And it would be right. a thing for your characters to do. And that was kind of cool. It was Granted, it was kind of big overview. You'd probably want to spend a little time thinking about it, but uh, that could be an event. That's more of an event happening. Uh, I don't think it's a true sandbox, and you guys should be choosing everything all the time. Uh, but I think – I'm with you. I think the sandbox and the linear game, not necessarily the railroad, but um, – um, one of our buddies, though, is fond of saying this. This is our, as adults with busy lives, when we carve out three to six hours, whatever it might be, to play a RPG session, and um, if I'm the GM and I've spent the last amount of time that I spend prepping for a session, if players truly choose not to bite any of the hooks at all and just, you know, because, you know, Eventually, it's going to be an obvious hook, right? There's going to be yeah. something that's obvious. And the players just choose not to do it. Uh, one of our friends would say, well, we're not playing tonight. Right. And, and <laughs> I don't necessarily completely disagree with that. No, I no, mean, I get I mean, it because we do have busy lives. Um, it's kind of – that is kind of something I think about a lot about mm-hmm. because I – prefer longer game sessions when we get together, especially when you're not getting together very frequently. Right. And, uh, uh, but modern life kind of makes us very busy for one reason or another. And I'm trying to look at mine and Mm -hmm. seeing how I can structure it so that I'm not running around like a crazy person. And so I can have time to uh, relax, to spend time with friends, with my wife, and not feel like I don't have time for anything. I don't know if that's a a podcast topic, but it's not bad. Carving out time for your hobby. Yeah. That'd be something we could think about. And not the bare minimum. You know, you only have uh, three or four hours to play tonight. You get there just in time to start and you run off as soon as the game is over. And Dude, honestly, wow, with, it's yeah. With Sunday being a good day for you, short of this COVID crap, which is kind of putting a damper on my style a little bit, we have people, me, you, Jeffrey, Pat and Joyce, and your wife. We could break and play some a long time on a Sunday. We could absolutely we could absolutely do it. Right. And it's just a matter of saying, hey, we're going to commit to this and we're going to do it. And I've also thought that every six weeks I have a long weekend like this weekend coming up. Right. So I should be able to to design schedules so that when that long weekend comes up, I can set aside a good chunk where we can hang out, not think, not feel that we have to hurry, relax. Dude, spend the day together. Spend the day together. Have dinner. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did that back in the Seven Spheres. You guys would come over around four o'clock. We'd stop around six to eat dinner, and we'd leave well after midnight. Yeah. That's (laughs) good stuff. That's really good stuff. 
Now, I don't know if we can do that every two weeks all the time, but like you said, that'd be interesting if every two weeks we kind of had the four-hour slot or the five-hour slot, and then whenever you had your long weekend, you're like, hey, guys, I'm free, and we'll always make sure we play on that weekend, and that'll be the big the big one. Yeah. That wouldn't be bad. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I think that group I named is, is a group that I want to cultivate more. Yeah. Uh, make sure yeah. we use uh, – um, uh, Okay, well, the momentum of that quip is gone. Oh, you lost. I was going to make an agriculture quip, but the words just escaped my head. Anyway. Okay. And then the last little bit is interesting. Uh, The very last line about what a – this is under the characteristics of a sandbox. And, again, I got all this from the RPG Museum uh, website. When the players affect the environment, the GM presents logical consequences from a realistic standpoint – and I would put that in quotation because you're playing fantasy, but you know, reasonable consequences rather than a poetic viewpoint. That I haven't doesn't make any sense. Oh, I, I have a take on. Uh, you're right. It's weird, but it. I have a take on what this means. So it says the players decide they're going to be magic to be the magic shop. Okay, they're going to quest and get magic items, and they're going to sell them in a big city. Okay. Okay, and the GM thinks about, well, if you do that, what's going to happen? Maybe magic items will proliferate. Maybe they're going to face competition if it's a big enough city like, say, Sigil, you know, the city of doors. Or maybe the king is going to be like, dude, you're selling magic items. Are you guys paying your taxes? Maybe your tax will increase because you got so much money. Maybe, maybe uh, people will attack you to try to steal it from you. Right. Rather than a poet, I don't know if poetic is the right word. I think in some plot driven games where the plan is not to do that, you can be, okay, guys, you can have your magic shop. You'll make this much money and you'll sell this many items every month. As long as you can show me you've found two or three excessive magic items you don't need per month and just leave it at that. You know what I'm saying? Kind of abstract it because you wanted them to focus on something else. Whereas in a sandbox, you would focus on that. Dude, the players want to play, you know, accountants and managers, D&D style. So let's see what happens. Well, (laughs) interestingly enough, uh, my wife was running us through um, a – trying to remember the name. Oathbound 7 was – I can't remember if that was the name of the setting or the game book that came with it, but essentially it's a – an alter, it's just a, a different, yeah. it's just a different set. It was 3-5. Yeah, 3-5. No, no, we were using Pathfinder, but I think it was originally 3-5. And it had some, like, cool new races, right? Yeah, totally overpowered. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> totally overpowered. So, uh, um, so what two of the, our group decided they wanted to do was to start a merchant concern. Concern. Uh, company. So oh. get a few boats together. Consortium. Seem, yeah. Um, and they wanted to um, get some boats and sail around and be merchants. And I'm like, that's not adventuring <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm me. <laughs> right. But, that's, mm-hmm. but uh, it could lead to adventure. And Jenny was trying to figure out how to accommodate that. And I was being a grump. <laughs> so we didn't really go too far into that. And uh, um, but it would have been interesting if I had uh, 
if if that had situation had um, if we went somewhere with it. Yeah, if I mean that would have presented with more adventure, or if it would have just been okay, we sold this, we bought this, we have this left over, and that was the game session. That well, and that's what I thought was going to happen. So I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Right, like as a GM, I probably would have because I know you well. I would have been like, Joe hates this idea. And I would have taken you to the side and said, look, dude, don't worry. You guys are going to be fighting. You're going to be going out and getting stuff. And you're going to be helping people. Okay? Maybe maybe yourself sometimes just to survive. And they're going to get to play accountants and manager. And right. life's going to be tough. You know, don't worry. Your fighter butch is still going to have to kick some ass because, trust me, the Thieves Guild's not cool with this. Or the Merchant's Guild's not cool with you trying to run your own little separate deal. You know, as a DM, that's opportunity to really make the game fit what the players want. That's you know, that's what I would call real emergent storytelling, and that's that's okay, but it's challenging. I understand why your wife was like struggling because that's a lot of uh, baskets to balance, right? You're holding right. a lot of eggs in those different baskets, and that's tricky. I, I, but back to that poetic thing, which I think kind of throws the whole statement off. Um, I think the poetic viewpoint is it, it's trying to compare it to like, you know, if not a playing, real consequence. Yeah, right. Not a real consequence. It's abstract. And people say, we're supposed to be the heroes. I think a lot of OSR, we're going to talk a lot more about that, but a lot of OSR games are kind of sandboxy, and they're kind of like, screw your feelings, and screw the fact that you think you're a hero. I don't care if you're sixth level. If you go into that dungeon, I'm prepared. You guys go into that hex, I'll let you do whatever you want. If you go in, I'll give you some warning signs, but dude, it's on you if you you end up in the Red Dragon's Lair. It's not me. Right. You know, and he's a great red worm. Uh, sorry about your luck. He's got a thousand hit points. You're six level. You're all dead. You know, if you just if they just have their lot, that's the consequences. And you can play it even less. You can be less generous. I mean, you can say there's warnings. But what if the cave you set up has a a small group of mind players are trying to manipulate things secretly and there's no warning and you're third level and you roll up in the overmind's, uh, you know, little pod room. TPK. Yeah, I mean, that's sorry. what's gonna happen. And that's, yeah, and that's, <laughs> and that's a true sandbox would be like, oh well, poop out of luck. Now one yeah. thing that's yeah, that's where I think. Our, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on because I'm really excited that West March's game we're playing in Savage Worlds. I love that idea because if you guys got smoked, now granted you couldn't come back and tell, but as a player you could be like, you do not want to go in there. And as a and as a as a character, as a part of the story, there'd be rumors of, oh, this party win they never came back. That's a very dangerous place. And you could still if you wanted to warn other players, you could. It's a little meta and outside of game, but it wouldn't bother me because I don't want to have another TPK. I would rather it be a scary place, you know, right. that nobody wants to go to. Well, and that's how you build up. You could over time after multiple TPKs build up <laughs> well, one a field of bones. Or two, right. just a, a reputation. They just moved in before the, the first group of players encountered them. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had a chance to build up a reputation of it's haunted or no one comes back or anything like that. But the players are the first ones to encounter it. And the, and multiple groups of player characters that get TPK'd will generate a bad reputation. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, even in the game, it would just be like everybody dies and goes there, don't go there. And even if you're playing, let's say you're in two groups that died going there because you thought your six-level dudes could take them, well, things changed. And by the time you got to sixth level, they added some pretty tough hombres in there. They had, you know, a fifth-level psionic mind player leading them now, and you get there and you're like, oh, balls. And you get a TPK again, and you could be like, even you know, it sucked to lose two characters, but be something cool about that, right? Like this right. place is tough. I'm going to work to where I get a character that I can kick the crap out of those dang mind players. Right. You know? This is a, I was talking to my wife Jenny um, about somewhat related to this is when you have this when you have a sandbox like this, um, you can't be that emotionally entangled with your character. I think it's a little weird to be anyway, but you have to have a little bit of distance because yes. with a sandbox like this, uh, and an anything goes kind of um, approach, you can't be too tied to them. Oh, and what yeah. I was saying was uh, one of the things that uh, can make for uh, bad feelings is if you spend a lot of time making your character in yeah. third edition and in Pathfinder. Yeah. Uh, character creation can take a long time. And so if you're invested in that and you've mm-hmm. made a, a very detailed background and then you step into an adventure and you're dead in 10 minutes, that yeah. could be kind of sour grapes after that. So yeah. yeah, that's one yeah. thing. That's one of the things that is uh, the drawing about OSR is Mm-hmm. Um, the simpler games, you have uh, a lot less investment in character creation. And my suggestion about background is, is you make a skeleton of a background, just a little bits, mm-hmm. uh, a general idea, and then you fill it in over time as yep. you play, like they do in um, a lot of uh, novels and movies and TV yeah. shows, where you know a little bit about the character at the beginning, but mm-hmm. then as the story progresses, you find out more. Yeah, so because you can build your character's background as you're playing. So when you first start, you're not so invested that if you lose the character, you know, you've wasted a lot of time. At the very least, you've wasted time. Yeah. And I think the OSRs, you know, designed that way where I think probably a sandbox would play would be pretty fun because, well, even when we played old school games, well, it wasn't old when we played them, but played first edition. I mean, if, I, if your wizard died, you know, first level, you'd be like, I can roll up another one too. Give me five minutes. Yeah. Let me I erase mean, the name off of this. <laughs> you could. Or if you're like, right. I want to play a bar, I, I want to play a cleric. It wouldn't take you that long. to No, no, scratch. not at all. Not at all. I mean, I have you roll 2d6, subtract 5. There's your stats. Here we go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So I got a couple other questions I wanted to get to. And this is more of like kind of getting your opinion on several things. One of them is, so I used to design adventure hooks. And this was back when I was a big Dungeon Magazine collector I, for many years. And I'm not sure. I think, Joe, you might have been on the East Coast or still in Germany back then when I did this more. Uh, I had tons of Dragon Magazine, Dungeon Magazines. I still have quite a few of them. And I would, when we start a new campaign, I would just kind of pick two or three, and I would pick two or three of them, and I would kind of loosely prep the beginnings of all of them, and then throw out one to three options in the first sec- session so the players could bite on which one they found interesting. Okay? And then I would run the module as is. So, 
my question was, and maybe I already answered myself, is I think we already answered this. I don't think it's that design is neither linear nor true sandbox. It's a little bit of both, probably a sandbox leaning into a linear. Yeah, it's a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think a lot of ta- game tables probably do take more of a hybrid approach, unless you've got, I know, I know I've heard a lot of people say, we got to get through this module. We got to get through this module as if they just played modules, in which case they probably didn't do that. Lots of people like just to, you get they they get the published modules and they run through them as is. Yeah, yeah, that's and what they, they like to do. Yeah, you start at Asterix. Okay, there you're at you're at the big hill that looks like a it's got stones look like a skull's face. You see two entrances, one to the left, one to the right. Which one do you go to? We're playing Tomb of Horrors. Let's go. I step yeah. into the into the goblin, not goblin. The green mouth? Green is, is it a goblin? It's a green, de- a green devil's mouth, and it's got the spear of an eye. I think. Yeah, green devil. I think. Okay. Now, in 13th Age, a different game we like to play, uh, there's an adventure, and many of their modules do this. Uh, one that I liked is uh, Shards of the Broken Sky. And I ran that with a group for a while. We didn't quite finish it, but we did go from levels one one or, no, two or three, all the way up to sixth or seventh. It was pretty fun. I didn't quite finish it. And they'll often, and they're, I don't know, I don't know, do you have any 13th Age modules, Joe? Do you own any? No modules, but I got those, um, what are they called? Where it has um, hmm. the encounters. Yeah. High ma- encounters. High Magic, Low Cunning, and a few of the other ones, yeah. Yeah, three um, different books. Well, a lot of times what they'll do in, the, in their modules, and then that too, you can you can choose, and those two, you can choose icons or story elements and encounters to make the adventure essentially different every time. So if you've got a group of characters who are all got a lot of negative icon points with the Lich King and positive with the Emperor and kind of neutral with the Druid, the High Druid, you could often take any adventure and just replace the icons and theme it to fit that, right? Sure. So my thought is, when you run stuff like that, if, if it changes every time, is it, do you think it's still linear or is it sandbox? Or is it something else? Well, I think you could put those um, linear and sandbox on a continuum. And the, uh, the more player choice plays into it, and I'm not talking about illusory player choice right I'm not real player choice real player agency agency yes babe. marketing term <laughs> so uh wherever it falls in it can be a, a, a hybrid and in the more agency or choice you let the players have the more sandboxy it is and the less uh it's more linear and that can be um you know, whatever play style the table has. Yeah, and come to think of it, see, I had uh, some of our friends played in that, and I think it was a little mixture of both because some of the adventures were kind of set in stone. I set them up, but they decided if they wanted to stay in a region or leave or head back. I don't want to talk too much about it because I absolutely will run that again. That's a great super module. I mean, you can you can design it to be all sorts of things. I thought it was one of the, one of the coolest ever. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a little mixture of both. I think if you just run the encounters as written every time, whether you change the themes and the elements and the icons, it's still linear. But I think it can be it can be both. I'm not sure if that's really a different thing. <clears throat> right. And, you know, I I can get I can poo poo the railroad a lot, because especially when it's 
you're strong armed. But yes. but uh, I understand also the whole look. This is what I've prepared. I have limited time. This is what I got. Let's run right. with it, okay? You yeah. Can do that. And, and I know people who are into the immersive immersion. Mm-hmm. Another marketing term, immersion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might not set well with them, but right. you know, like if you're playing with your pals, right? I was going to say Joe's playing with friend. your pals, playing with your pals, P and P. Yeah. Um, you gotta, you gotta, um, gotta be friends. <laughs> this is what you got. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Don't bust each other's balls unless you know that's what you have fun doing. Yeah, I think we talked already about how we used to play mainly back in the day, uh, but well, maybe not. Do, do you? When we played back in the day, I think it was pretty linear, but we we still had sandbox elements. We already said that, and I think we still kind of play like that now. What yeah. do you think? I yeah. think so. I think there's a mix. Yeah. Um, when we were young, and we would prod you, it would be yeah. sandbox. Yep. We want to do something. Okay, what do you want to do? Yeah. However, once we kind of put ourselves in a direction, it would be TPK after that. Yeah, well, I think I prefer the term death box. Death box. <laughs> sure, what was that you do? Well, let's go over those hills and see if that dragon's there. Oh, it's there. And so is his brother, and they're all great red worms. Okay. Oh, just- I remember <laughs> the dragon encounter you had us on. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to be... We knew there were dragons around. We were trying to be smart, and we yep. put ourselves, we distanced ourselves from each other, but oh, we yeah. ended up placing each other, the whole group, in a line. Yeah, you did. And the, what you did was, okay, the dragon comes up over the hill and just strafes us and <laughs> got all of us with yep. one breath. And I'm like, right. <laughs> well, you know, you have to admit, at least that time, that was pretty fair. You guys oh, were just yeah, straight lines, so pretty fair. I mean, yeah. most most of my encounters were unfair, but that one was pretty fair. Um, do you have a preference? That if I said I'm probably not the railroad, I can't imagine you really liking the railroad. Not, but a lin- not particularly. But if, if I said, hey, I'm going to run a linear type adventure path, we're going to play Rise of the Rune Lords, which we might if I do the Pathfinder Rise of the Rune Lords. Uh, box set stuff someday, and I know you're not keen on that, but I think it's still going to be pretty good. Or would you prefer, like, hey, dude, I'm going to, like I'm doing right now, it's going to be a sandbox, I got this premise, you're coming to this new world, I'm going to throw different hooks out, and let's just see how it goes. I'm not going to promise you one type of adventure or not, you guys are going to decide what your adventures are. Uh, Would you like a themed, I consider linear is almost like a themed game. Sure, sure. You're going to attempt to stop the rise of the Rune Lords, or you're going to go to Sanctuary and see what happens. Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't played a lot of pure sandbox, right. so I'm not sure if I would prefer it. It sounds oh. cool. It sounds cool. Uh, the kind of linear you're, you're describing is fine, too. I mean, that's what that's a lot of what we've played yep. and have a lot of fun with it. We're going to play Rise of the Rune Lords. All right, let's do it. And, and but to be fair, I know but, within yeah. the framework of Rise of the Rune Lords, mm-hmm. we're going to wreck it. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. can ha- you as a DM in particular, you can handle how we wreck things. Yeah. And, and you can respond in kind. Yeah. If you guys sidestep a whole, you know, usually adventure paths for Pathfinder come in six, uh, six installments. And if you guys do something that lets you bypass half of installment two, I'll be like, OK, 
moving right along. Yeah, and, and by wreck, I don't mean we kill everything. I no, mean, it just means you wreck success- the plans. Yeah, wreck the plans, surprise. Oh, my gosh, you surprise the stone, the stone giant mage, and you all get him by himself, and you kill him. Right. Well, what happens to the stone giant army? Well, they flee. Their leader's dead. Good job, guys. You stopped well, a whole lot of crap. Well done. And, and there's all kinds of t- times when when uh, we think this is a hook, and it's yep. not. And nothing yep. you say changes our mind. <laughs> I know, and I'm, and th- and that's where maybe I should come off my. This is a rule I stick with. I mean, I don't like you know direct appeal. I, when's the that last sounds time? Sounds weird. Yeah, when's the last time you've heard me say that's not what I have planned? Don't do that. Ah, I yeah. don't know that you've ever said that. Into, I know. Unless we go all the way back to real early day teenager time yeah when it was like i'm trying to uh, um, we're going to run the temple of elemental evil well we're going to go off to the wild coast no you're not you're in hamlet (laughs) and that's where you're staying then go to the moat house shut up (laughs) (laughs) we pack our horses and you go to the moat house that's right roll initiative (laughs) right but now I'm just not – I'm like – I'm really hesitant now. That doesn't mean I, get, I don't get frustrated. I mean, as a GM, when I see you guys, you know, I'm like, man, what am I doing? Usually I think, though, when you guys get lost that way, I think it's my fault. I've probably emphasized – I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, and I think you guys, you know, because I know you might – I might describe something if I spend too much time on a non-important item. Especially my wife, she'll be like, oh, that chandelier must be important because he described it in great, great detail. And I'm like, no, I just lost my mind and thought it sounded cool. <laughs> or, you, or you place a child <laughs> within view. Yes, that will become the adventure for the evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, dude. I'm going to keep kids, <laughs> I'm try to keep kids out of it. But uh, now I don't know. This is interesting. Do you, do you recall? an experience in each of the three types that we've listed a true railroad oh true railroad oh sure a linear game and a sandbox if you think i've done a lot of sandboxes um can you recall and again you don't have to name them you know we gotta name any people that did it but uh did what was what was your after the game what did you think probably like it didn't like the railroad not the strong arm railroad right um and, you know, what these definitions, and they are good definitions, that's a person's opinion of what a railroad is. I remember we were talking about railroad, and you said some very weird things that people said was a railroad. Um, yeah. Was it out, like, I can't remember now. Uh, some, well, some about races? She told you what? I can't remember now. Oh, no. Oh, I tell you what, there are some people that just will, they think the DM should have no say whatsoever on the way the game goes. He's there to prevent, to present challenges, but just to let the players go do their thing. Um, and maybe even so much like, what was some of the comments that I heard that I read about? People would say things like, if the DM, dude, I'm blanking now. Like if, if, if you have a if, if you create an adventure, you know, I've set up the dungeon of ultimate doom. Just doing that act is a railroad. Yeah. You so know, some people have a real. It's a real 
different viewpoint of what a railroad is. Mm-hmm. For me, even if you make uh, a linear type adventure where mm-hmm. you have uh, a proposed order of events. Yep. Um, if when we're in the uh, scenario and I have a character and I say, well, I want to go talk to that dude over there. And you say stuff like, no, nah, you really don't want to talk to him. Or I take a step toward him and poof, he's gone. Right. Every time I want to talk to somebody that's not within the prescribed area, they poof away or don't the talk crowd comes by and you can't get to him and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, it, and it becomes obvious that I have to go a particular route. That's a railroad. But if you as a DM say, oh, yeah, you can go talk to that dude and this is what happens and mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, I can handle linear with some uh, uh, wiggle room. Right. And I'm not going to, I don't care. I can have fun with that. Yeah. And I think it's fine as a player, especially if you don't see the hook, you know, or because initially you don't know, or if you're like, I'd like to see what's, you know, my character would like to get to know somebody in Omelette. So I'm going to go talk to the local Smith. I mean, nothing's happened yet. You guys have just arrived. Right. And then, uh, Suppose that happens. You go, I'm going to go check the Smith out. I'm like, dude, Smith don't know nothing. He has no idea about the Temple of Elemental Evil. He doesn't know about Lorette the Beautiful hiding out in the moat house. He doesn't know any of that crap. What are you doing? You know, just role play. He gets, you know, use his name. I and mean, heck, Gary Gygax, dude, Hamlet is so well defined. Every single person, if you haven't thought of nothing, you can just turn to him, read this, read the Smith, and he'll tell you all about him and his kids and his grandkids and, you know, his father and his father's father and why he's there and how much money he's got in his, you know, secret stash and he's a drunk. And I mean, it's, it's pretty well detailed. And you can role play it out. And let the let the player feel like it's a living, breathing world. Not everything has to be about quote unquote the adventure. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Because eventually you can make something happen. I'll have the assassin, you know, come over and kill you at night after he agrees to be your henchman, and we'll realize there's bad people in town. Right. <laughs> so are we are we considering the three types to be linear, sandbox, and Railroad, or is that well, carrot, carrot and stick? Carrot and um, stick is—I think carrot and stick is more as a technique to yeah, get, seemed, to keep people on the railroad or on the linear the linear path. I think a linear game design is more of a acceptable version of a railroad that's a wide railroad where you have room to meander about. I would say linear game design is probably pretty standard. Railroad, I feel like, is probably a little more. Um, no, nah, I think a stinky way to DM. I mean, yeah. if, in my mind, what I consider a railroad is when the DM won't let you do anything else. I mean, he literally, you can't thwart his plans. You're going to, in the sense that you are going to the dungeon, you're doing it right now. Everything you do, anything else you want to do is not happening. I go to the, I go to the Smith. He doesn't want to talk to you. I go to the priest. We're closed for business. The only thing that's open is the end of the welcome wench. Right. <laughs> go there and do it. Go you know, there and do it. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, so railroad the three. Like I don't like railroad. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with linear, with mm-hmm. the wiggle room, like I was saying. And, I, yep. and sandbox, I haven't done a lot of that, but it sounds interesting. I, like you know, hex crawling. Yeah, I agree. Hex crawls interesting. I think Glenn Halstrom on Radio Grognard had a had a 
podcast. I'm looking again recently on hex crawling. I would like to read up on that because I think that's kind of my idea for my sanctuary campaign, the West Marches thing, and um, really kind of wide open. You can go where you where you want. I've got a couple of places, you know, that I'm gonna develop and let players check out on their own time when they want to. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think you yeah. played a sandboxy type game because all my games end up being a little bit of that, but not a true, well, what do you guys want to do guys? <laughs> you know, whatever you want to do. Right. Uh, and, and speaking of Glenn uh, and his hex crawl episodes, he's recommended some uh, material. Oh, on hex really? crawling. Uh, okay. Basically, it's a lot of tables. Um, oh, okay. They have a lot of tables for you to be able to generate what happens in the hex. Um, trying to find. You honestly cannot have too many tables in, in a role playing game. No. no yeah. They're so useful. I've got a couple of sweet books that are just full of tables called GM Gems by Goodman Games. That is just tools for every game master and it is a lot of good ideas oh it doesn't have a lot of tables it's got some in the back but i got a few that are a few games there's one that's like a d100 table for what is it empty rooms worth describing i like that right alternate wonders for items of wonder <laughs> yeah they got oh there's a yeah there's more than a handful of tables in this book i really like those yeah what book is that again it's called gm gems I think it came out initially for a third edition, but I think this is a, a more of a system neutral. Alchemical mishaps. Oh yeah, there's buttloads of tables in here, and I've got another one too, which are uh, some something gigantic with a third party third edition book about just a gigantic table book for all sorts of monsters and random things that can happen. It was crazy. It had D1000 tables, <laughs> <laughs> but some really good stuff. Yeah, the uh, what Glenn over on uh, on uh, Radio Grognard was recommending mm-hmm. was um, Hex Crawl Basics by oh, okay. Populated Hexes. Okay. So I haven't. Uh, I think that I kind of give it. I didn't uh, download it or anything, but it's a PDF, uh, so right? It's a PDF. Is it free? So I think the bait. There might be like a free version in a in a. Uh, Pay. Paid version, but I can't remember. Yeah, man. I have to look I, it up. I think one thing about sandbox I want to mention, I don't know if I have much more to say after this, as much as I think I like the idea of a linear sandbox combo, a true sandbox, if all the PCs are doing is wondering about, you have to make sure, I, I would feel like you would need to make sure that they're doing something um you got to have a plan around it. I can't, I can't imagine coming to the table and saying, well, what do you want to do? And I have, have not done it. I mean, how would I start a campaign as a sandbox with no idea what you're going to do? I would have to design some things, cool places to go, uh, potential hooks would have to be out there, right? It couldn't just right. be you show up and I can't imagine just showing up and rolling on a table. That'd be weird. Right. And this, this got me to thinking um, – Thinking about sandboxes is in hex crawling. Imagine, okay, you know I like the Rapanathook yeah. module, right? Yeah. So yeah. you could reskin Rapanathook into an above ground hex crawl where the um, various elements of the Rapanathook module are scattered across 
a wilderness. Yeah. So, so it could be that there was a long lost civilization. Well, if you know Rapanithuk, there's a bunch of uh, Orcus temples. Right. So it could be that these are um, in uh, out of the way places, but above ground temples that you run across and, and um, all could this be. stuff. An, yeah. orc, uh, an orc town, essentially, or demi-human town, where you yeah. have to lay low if you're good guys, because they find out you're good guys, they're gonna hang you probably. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so. Or even make it like an, an ancient city or ancient uh, empire where these different temples of Orcus are kind of hidden amongst ruins. Right. And you got to Yeah, that could be cool. So yeah, you could. The, to your point. Instead of having the hex crawl or sandbox be completely random and there's nothing out there until you roll it, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. you can have elements within your tables. You can replace uh, bits and pieces here and there or have some planned. You can say once once I get to this part of the hex or this particular hex, this thing is going to happen. And then and then you go from there. Yeah. The hex crawls, a, I think, a variant of... Uh of just playing dungeon crawls, but playing it on the surface of the world. Right. That's pretty interesting. Which, I mean, you may not have to be in the surface of the world. You could uh, have a dungeon be in one of the hexes for sure. So it's just a way to design your hex, your uh, sandbox. Yeah. 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 Not bad. <sighs> Got anything else you want to say about sandboxes and railroads or anything? No, don't think so. I think we beat that one down. Good. That was a good beat down. Good beat down. Yeah. So. So our cabin con moment. Yeah. Uh, so as far as linear versus railroad cabin con, you know, we do a lot of one shots, and with so, one shots, it's you can't do sandbox really. Not really. Can't really. It, well, you can, but if uh, I guess you could one shot. I don't see the point. Yeah. But I it, guess you it, could. It, I mean, I guess you could set up. If you were really careful, you could design an adventure where it plays out differently depending on what the players do. But you couldn't you couldn't pre-plan for every possibility. You had to be good at thinking on the edge of your on your as you see by the seat of your pants, flying by the seat of your pants. But I think at CabinCon, have we really had any sandbox style games? I'm I'm going to try to make. I don't one. think so. I think the West Marches is trying to develop that, but I'm not sure if that's even going to run like that in the end because it's going to be you guys are going to choose kind of what you're going to do, but then I'm going to design it, right? Could be. Me and, me I, mean, I can see, I can see doing it at Cabin Con, but it's not you just do it one time and you don't do it again. What I what I think would be cool would to do a, would be to do a sandbox and maybe. Um, every day, run a few groups through it, add to the con, and then over time, maybe one session a day or something like that. Right. And then um, over time, you discover the world at Cabin Con. But the yeah. problem, this is the problem. We do Cabin Con once a year. Yep. And a lot of times we only do the games we do at Cabin Con at Cabin Con. So. Mm-hmm. You do your sandbox, and then a year later you come back to your sandbox. You don't know what you've done. Well, but, but you know, I've tried to start that savage. My my my, my West Marchers game that is meant to be the one that we're playing in, and um, that we played one session of, right? Right. Uh, of the 
Skeleton Island was the beginning of it, but I really, I mean, that's what I'm going to run. There's going to be, you're, you could have that same character and you could bring him because you can play him. You can play your ranger dude at Cabin Con. I mean, he's going to be a viable character for the adventures that are going on. Right. Um, and uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Which, but the idea is you guys are going to get to know the world a little bit and learn what our places are, do a little hex crawling, and then make decision as in teams, what are we going to go after? And so after this year, Patrick and I hopefully will have some hooks, some places you'll hear about over Cabin Con, or maybe hear it during my campaign if we get to play it again soon, and say, hey, I want to check that out next year. And I go, hmm, Patrick, you want to run that? He might say, yeah, I got that. And then someone else, like, I really thought this was cool. I was like, I'll develop that for next year. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. That's that's the idea, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we're, we're mostly linear, sometimes a little railroady because they want to get to the heart of the adventure in the four or five hours that we're going to spend on most of our games. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. I think with uh, time constraints, yeah, uh, in-game, uh, at-the-table constraints, and uh, constraints on prep time, Yep. You gotta, you gotta kind of expect there to be some linear railroady things. Yeah. Speaking of that, do you think there's any reason if we have a? I think we're gonna have a bigger turnout than we did last year. I'm already getting a few people that are, I'm getting people that are coming that didn't come last year. I'm wondering, do you think it's even? I know you're not a fan of playing in general four hours, though we set up our slots to be four hours at Cabin Con. Do you think, other than just saying, hey, I'm going to have a two-slot game, or I'm going to run six hours, so if you commit to my game on Thursday at one, it's not stopping at four or five, it's stopping at eight. You know, so other than saying that, do you think there's any way we could open it up and say, run your game as long as you want. I guess that'll run us into trouble, right? People switching around and getting to other games they might want to play. Well, it's possible. I think uh, what we can do is, uh, one, not make any decisions on it until we know how many people are going to be there. Of course not. And then, and then yeah. after that, we can just play around with a couple of different things. I don't think we should, I don't think we should change No, setup. no. As far as we 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 um, start the day off with uh, uh, this is what I'm doing in the morning or and uh, after the morning session has been set, everything else that happens throughout the day is just pick up game kind of, you know, play play when you can with who you can. Um, people need to announce and all that other stuff. But uh, I, I don't see any reason why we can't unless we get too big and we have to plan for different game areas. And with regard also to Trent, because he has to be upstairs and yeah. not going up and down the stairs to different games. Sure. For his safety. So, yeah, my thought was more of a, yeah, could we do it if opportunity arises? And of course, maybe we could figure it out. I think, I think sticking to a, to a session, you know, three or four sessions, or the three sessions a day is probably good. That gives it, because I like the idea of it having a bit of a con feel, you know, even though we don't want to be restrained by time, because we've, 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 I have over organized and that 
felt less than ideal to a lot of people. And we've under-organized, and that felt less than ideal to people. And I feel like we found a sweet spot where we just have a morning session, an afternoon session, and an evening session, and we break up around an hour, two hours to have lunch and talk in between them. And then after the evening session, you can we usually end up somebody, usually you and I and some other people, just sit around and BS for four or five hours. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, on to uh, building our better world, dude. Now, yeah. So, now this is um, says this is, and I changed a little bit because I really couldn't see how I added some sandboxy stuff, but that's kind of a choice. Do you envision leaving the world connected to our game well defined? That is, you know. Uh, does a well-defined setting remove the possibility of a sandbox game being played in it? So something like a well-defined world to me would be something like Forgotten Realms, whereas one that's a little more open would be, would be pretty open to me would be 13th Age Dragon Empire and one that's somewhere in between is World of Greyhawk. So what I'm wondering is, do you see things, do, do you see them like that? First, do you see those settings like I do? Kind of. I was thinking um, Greyhawk was more was more uh, sandboxy, but that's because I didn't own any Greyhawk products except for the, the that first that one um, gazetteer. Oh, I think it is more sandboxy than the realms. It right. might be as sandboxy as Dragon Empire. It um, might be. I don't. I, be. I'm not sure exactly, but it's definitely. When I think of how detailed I'd want our game world defined, it would be on the level of Greyhawk, I think. Yeah. You don't want it to be super loosey-goosey, but you also don't want to, like, pretty much detail every nook and cranny like the Realms has. No, no. Or Kryn. I think, no. I think Kryn has, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe Kryn hasn't. Maybe I'm just thinking they have. Uh, okay. I think I, I really like – one of the reasons I like – Planescape so much is because I think though they have given there's a lot of Planescape supplements and I think I have almost every one that when when they tell you about a place they kind of hit the highlights of cool features and what plane and what and what level of the plane and so you can really run with it because I mean planes are infinite technically right so the third, technically, third, yeah. the third layer of hell is infinite in size even though yes. it's a third level so you could have anything you want in there um but yeah, I'm with you. I think World of Greyhawk is where I'd want to shoot. I'd want to have some stuff to give enough flavor to our world has got a so that our game has a world attached to it. You've talked about that. I think I agree. I want a game that is embedded in a setting, but not so well defined that people feel constrained. Like I feel I feel very constrained in a world like Middle Earth, though I probably shouldn't be, but I do. I feel that way. Well, Middle Earth has some definite implied constraints like uh, level of magic um, where it's at in a technological uh, sense um, the monsters that you're going to meet you're not going to so you're not going to look at the monster manual and say well anything in the monster manual could be in, in uh, Middle Earth I would say that's not true right <laughs> Right. I think it would get pretty – I think it would be kind of weird to see something like, gosh, I don't know. A solar. A solar middle, yeah. They're going to be really weird. Probably any that, of the any that of would specials. Be, that would be kind of Gandalf mm -hmm. in a way. 
I mean, right. the, thematically. Correct. Um, Not- Gandalf, of course, can uh, you know holds back on all of his power and just lets a tiny bit out. But um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think of like you know how you know how Thirteenth Age reads where they say, you know, the uh, they believe that the priestess came from another world, blah blah blah, or maybe she was always here and grew up and just showed up, you know, from a following from young, or maybe she's something else altogether different. I you like know? that. Yeah. Do, do you think you would like for us to try to write our world with options built in? Sure. Uh, I would. So hitting the highlights, I would like to um, have some defined factions mm-hmm. um, and some a persona like the one you just mentioned. Uh, their background would be a mystery. Yeah, there are rumors because you know we don't you don't have the internet, right? So in um, you don't have uh, access to gigantic libraries even given that there's no internet you there's not going to be the amount of books that are in a, a, a game world like this aren't going to be concentrated very much no uh, it would be like a the alexandria library that would be um that would be a wonder to find right. in a fantasy world in this type of uh technological level but uh so you're not going to know a lot of stuff like that. Sure. The, a, a persona like that, their background to the level of the players, characters, it's going to be rumor mm-hmm. until they meet them. And then uh, the DM can decide whether or not to. Right. Take one of our. Yeah. Yeah. To solidify any of that. So That's it's just... probably better to keep it on the rumor level for many of those um, types of personas or people and uh that way you don't like overly develop the, the whole thing and you give yeah. you give different people uh you give different people that have if we publish it you give them all uh options instead yeah. of saying well it's already made um i what am i supposed to do here just go with it some people like that but yeah a lot of people i especially in the osr camp, yeah <laughs> they like to tinker yeah they it's do. a kind of a diy yeah, uh, uh, group of people. So yep. I think they would be better, more like having um, options or undefined, rather than every person that you do mention in the book having definites. Yeah, and you and and what's great, we could have three or four little possibilities listed for them. And like I told you, I mentioned the Shards of the Broken Sky campaign I read ran last year. They gave you all these choices, and I literally threw them all out the window, and I created them all. <laughs> but I saw one of their choices. I said, that's cool, but wouldn't it be cooler if? And mm-hmm. so I changed the premises all together. I mean, I stuck with the spirit of, you know, choose your own icons, but I had a completely different purpose for why the main thing happened. And it was fun because I got to create my own encounters. I got to pull from different books. I got to use some of the stuff had, they had. I mean, they literally, that, that module book they have is so cool because if you pick, if you just pick some of their choices, they have sections where of monsters and encounters and adventures you just won't do if you choose one. I mean, you literally won't do, five. there's like seven or eight Maybe ten different encounter scenes or adventures. There's at least at least three, at least four or five adventures, and 
10, 15 encounters, I, I still, I never ran. Right. And I went through 90% of the module. So at least the story parts, that's kind of cool. And that'd be great to do that for our, you know, people that read the, the game and say, oh, wow. So I can, the, you know, the uh, arch lector of this place could be this, this, or this, or none of that. You decide what he is. Right. Yeah, true. Well, that's okay. what's also good about these other other books that I got. Uh, I think you have them, too. That's just a bunch of encounters. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about creating this thing tonight. And if they don't do it, I don't have anything. No, it's always. Yeah. You have a bunch of a pre-made encounters and you can just you can uh, write down on a note card. A half a dozen of the ones you like. Dude, I think, I think at CabinCon last year, the year before, when I was running my 13th Angel, you know, little Black Blades campaign, you guys did an encounter that I had completely reskinned from something I had done before, and Dave had played it before. And maybe it was you too. You both were like, I think I've seen this before, but I, I totally reflavored it. But you guys recognized how the how the encounter was kind of how the encounter was flowing and some of the combat things the creatures could do. And you guys like, I think I've seen this before, but it was new enough to where you guys are like, huh? And you kept playing. But I mean, I remember, I remember Dave for sure mentioned, he goes, he goes, this feels like something I've done before. Yeah. I think <laughs> I remember that too. Yeah. I think, I think Dave actually afterwards figured it out. He goes, well, this, was it this encounter? And I'm like, yep. He goes, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, That's why I used it twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Oh, man. Good times. Yes, yes. So um, are we ready to move along? I think so, man. I think that's... Wrap it up. Wrap this poop up, man. All right. If you'd like to support our show, please check out our website at biggestgeekestpodcast.com slash support. Or you can just go to the main website, look around. There's a few articles there, uh, mostly just our podcast episodes. Mostly just Joe, because Randy's lazy, needs to get his articles up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any contribution is much appreciated. We thank you for your consideration. Uh, Most importantly, even if you can't or don't want to uh, financially contribute, you can share the podcast with your friends. That's the most important. So you can get our our words into more ear holes. Right. it's mo- it's it's uh, available most places you can get your pod podcast. Although we had a kind of a glitch, uh, said last week. I don't I don't know if uh, anybody picked up on it, but me. Oh, was uh, that? Well, um, our podcast disappeared off of um, Spotify for a time. I'm not sure how long. Really? Uh, I, I came. Uh, I was went to the computer to do something. I can't remember what it was. Spotify wasn't showing our podcast. Now I was like, well, this is weird. Are we being canceled? (laughs) I was wondering. It's not like we're, I mean, we have no influence. And uh, so I didn't really think that was the case, but you never know. Some somebody could hear one of our, our uh, naughty words uh, and um, want to uh, get us off the internet. But um, it resolved itself. So I don't know what happened. Anyway, naughty, naughty words like women are women and men are men. Those sort of naughty. Yeah, words. that's kind of not those. That's very naughty. naughty. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Wrong thing. Anyway, right. um, yep. share, 
go go all to all the places. Uh, oh. There's always some some place that I didn't know our podcast was at. So oh. that's all that's encouraging. Until we have completely taken over the world like the Borg. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Resistance is futile. Hmm? If you have any questions or comments, we have email at questions at biggestgeekestpodcast.com. And uh, please send us a note if you feel like doing that. Um, also, there are some things we actually like in the gaming world. So it's very hard few to tell. Things. Very yep. few. Yeah. Uh, and some podcasts we like are the Red Dice Diaries with John Allen Large and his wife, Hannah. Radio Grognard with Glenn Hallstrom and Tale of the Manicor. Tale of the Manicor is not a typical podcast, but it's also not a um, typical actual play. It's kind of a dra- dramatized uh, version of an actual play right? Uh, with some rulesy bits and, co- and discussion of those rules. It's pretty interesting. Dude, this last one's pretty cool. Though. I'm, I'm kind of pumped about this last one. We got a we got a new one to add. What do you think, man? Are you pretty pumped? Yeah, uh, we're going to be on Eric Tenkar's Tavern Chat live stream uh, with Eric and Glenn Hallstrom from Radio Grognard. Yeah. This Friday at 8 o'clock. Yep. So be there, be square. Yeah, I think they call it Dungeons, Dragons, and Discourse, or at least Glenn's been calling it that. Um, okay. And uh, we're waiting for... Uh, Eric to send us something. He's the mastermind behind everything. Um, um, so I'm pretty pumped. I hope I hope we don't need any special things to be on the live stream. Do you know of any kind of special software we would need, or because he's going to send us a, a link type thingy? Well, I I'd have to take a peek at this. I, I have not. I don't watch a lot of. Um, no, I, I listen to stuff. Them. I listen yeah. on podcasts, so I'm not sure that I've. Uh, if this this could be a Discord thing, yeah, if it is he would yeah. have to invite us to the Discord. Yeah, we've been told that. So if you guys are interested in listening to us blabber with some more skilled guys from the OSR, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot of OSR stuff. I have a lot of things I want to talk about with them, and we'll see where Eric takes us. I'm not sure what his plan is. It's his show, so we'll just do whatever you know. I'll do whatever he says, man. Yeah, oh, it'll be a railroad. It'll be a railroad. It'll be a railroad. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet baby. Um, All right, cool. So yeah, I'm going to bring up the uh, this big can of not a can of worms in a bad way, but uh, when you think that you you are actually part of a hobby, you uh, every time I turn around, I'm like I'm not I'm not in this hobby because there's so much <laughs> stuff that I don't know. Like right. this whole this whole uh, fanzine thing. Fancy. Oh, fan oh, scenes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've never heard of them. Really? Uh, get with it, brother. Come on. So, my Look, my whole started way back street, in the day. My street cred is crap. You're losing it, dude. I'm, I'm just hold on. I'm marking you down. That's four demerits. Oh well, I think we're out of here, aren't we, man? This is great. Yes, yes we are out of here. This right. is Joe, and I'm Randy. And remember, if you can't be big like us, then be geeks like us. 